The Pull is brought to you by the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, the world's premier annual gathering of bicycle frame builders and frame building enthusiasts. The 2019 show will take place March 15th to 17th at the Sacramento Convention Center in Sacramento, California. We hope to see you there. From Red Kite Prayer, I'm Patrick Brady with The Pull. On this week's show, my guest is frame builder Brad Bingham. Bingham rose to international prominence as a result of his work as a welder for Kent Erickson Cycles. He has won the Best Welding Award at the North American Handmade Bicycle Show for each of the last five years, and prior to that, multiple years as part of the team at Kent Erickson Cycles that won the Best Titanium Bike Award. As Kent Erickson nears retirement, Bingham has launched his own brand, Bingham Built. The downtube decal simply announces built with a period. While Merlin Metalworks set the bar for beautiful welding thanks to their stack of dimes double pass welds back in the 1980s, Bingham has taken that look and elevated it to a nearly robotic consistency. I was curious to learn more about him and his work beyond just welding. Hey, Brad, thanks for joining me on the poll. How are things there? Uh, things here are wonderful. Excellent. And where is here? Here is Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Um, I'm down off of Yampa Street, very close to the Yampa River. Okay. Uh, and how close are you guys to where Moots is? Um, well, I am actually about... 30 feet from where Moots was founded. Um, <laughs> okay. Be, yep, because we, we operate out of uh, the original Moots shop. Very cool. Uh, well, and that brings us to the natural question. You know, for people who aren't familiar with your background beyond your involvement uh, with Ericsson and now Bingham Built, which we'll get to, um, why don't you tell our listeners about your background as a welder? Yeah, so I... I well, oh boy, we'll just have to roll back to the start, but I wanted to build bikes um, last year of high school, so 1995, and the engineers that I was working with in a cooperative work experience situation, they made it clear that I needed to learn how to TIG weld, so that was the, the first thing I did was I uh, went and took a community college course, and that spiraled into a desire to build a titanium bike which turned into a class at the UBI, the United Bicycle Institute. Uh-huh. And then Moots got my name from that class and called me up, and they were looking for a full-time welder and brought me out here to, at that time, it was snowy Steamboat Springs, Colorado, because <laughs> it was uh, January, and there was a lot of snow on the ground. And I grew up skiing on Mount Hood okay. um, in, or- in Oregon, so I appreciated the deep snow and I signed on very quickly to come out here, and that was uh, January of 1997. Wow. So, uh, yeah. How much time elapsed between when you 
finished the class at UBI and getting the offer uh, to go to Steamboat Springs? I think it was a whole three or four weeks. So <laughs> it was wow. very quick. Oh, that's mm-hmm. that's really cool. I mean, you know, I've always known that uh, true professionals were coming out of UBI. Um, I didn't know that piece of your background. And given that you've won uh, the best TIG welding award uh, at NABS for, oh, I forget, I have to go back and check every time. Uh, five, five or six, some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before that, best titanium bike. Um, that's a... You know, I mean, obviously it speaks to your determination as a professional, but uh, to know that you got your education in in TIG welding titanium at UBI, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a pretty powerful statement on their behalf. Yeah, most definitely. Um, The the instructors there that were really key for me uh, were Jim Kish and and Gary Helfrich, the founder of Merlin Metalworks. And, uh, well, one of the founders. Um, and I think, you know, that class in 1996, we spent probably the meat of an entire week just welding. And that, that was huge. Wow. Wow. Very cool. So tell us about some of the work that you did while you were at, uh, Moots. Uh, did you do work aside from just weld bikes? Most definitely. Yeah. We, um, when I came on board, we were a crew of about seven and that, that blossomed over the next few years. Uh, we had some really great things happen. Ruthie Mathis won the national championship for mountain bike cross country on a moots. And that really put us on the map and we started selling a lot more bikes. Um, so I was welding away, um, hundreds of bikes a year, um, for a few years. And it, I had a background already of uh, some computer-aided design work, and I understood a lot of the basics of engineering and and design. And so started working with Kent, designing new product, designing new tools. So that that led into a role as production manager. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that was 2004. Um, Kent left not long after that, and I stayed stayed in that product production manager role for the next few years. And that eventually transferred into a production tooling design and product development, um, designing new products like the cinch post and the, the moots RSL line. <clears throat> wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, so, so much of your professional reputation these days is based on, uh, your welding ability and the fact that you keep getting these awards that are entirely deserved. Um, uh, now I'm curious to, I mean, as a production manager and production development Mm -hmm. manager, you weren't Mm -hmm. welding for a long time. Then you were busy doing other stuff. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a few years there where I did not weld very many frames. Um, you know, I had the opportunity early in my career at Moots to weld many, many frames. Right. And I think <clears throat> that just built the foundation um, that I that I work off of now. And I, welding always came fairly easy to me. And I think that's because of my background originally in mechanical drafting and drawing uh-huh. and that, that precise work that has to be done 
to, to make a nice mechanical drawing, you know, literally using, using graphite pencils. So that's where it comes from. It comes easy to me and I, and I enjoy it very much. Wow. So now, uh, your time at Moots came to an end in 2012. What Mm -hmm. made you make the jump to working with Kent again? Well, um, I had no intentions when I left Moots. I had no intentions of going to work for Kent. Um, (laughs) it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a discussion. Um, you know, I had just gotten to a point where I needed to take a break from from being part of building 1,200 frames a year and try to kind of get back to my roots. And I didn't know what exactly what that looked like. I just knew I, I needed to take a break from Moots. So um, after I, I left, wasn't long after, Kent had a little uh, situation where the opportunity presented itself and he called me up and said, how about we, how about we make this work? Wow. And, and so it's been, it's been really great because there's a special vibe here, um, in Steamboat, special vibe for titanium bikes and you, you can't get away from it. It's really, really fun. Interesting. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I I keep meaning to visit Steamboat and it just hasn't Mm -hmm. happened yet. Maybe this summer. Hmm. Well, we'll have you anytime. Okay. Uh, so now you've got Bingham built. Um, yes. How are you handling the transition from Ericsson to Bingham built? Has Kent given you any idea how much longer he plans to be in the game? Yeah. So we, I took over the company December of 2016. And Kent would, he'd really like to be fully retired ASAP. Um, but I'm still forcing them to help me out a few hours a week. Um, so we're going to continue building the Ericsson bikes. Um, in, in my opinion, as long as Kent is involved and that's why I created Bingham built to get my name out there and start creating that brand that I'll carry on Mm -hmm. uh, for many, for many years to come. Um, so right now it's about 40% Bingham built and 60% Ericsson's. That's where we're at today. And it's a lot of fun because we have customers who are returning and perhaps I was a part of their first bike four years ago or five years ago. They know who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're, they, they recognize what's happening and the changes. And they say, well, make the second one a Bingham built. And, and that's really nice. Um, yeah. Boy. Okay. So now, uh, back to something we mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago. You've won the best TIG welding award at the North American Handmade Bicycle Show for each of the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I serve as chief judge for the awards. Uh, and I remember when I was writing up the construction categories uh, this year, I said that the TIG, well, TIG award was the most boring award I give. <clears throat> because I know that as long as you enter, you're nearly impossible to beat. I mean, the conversation with the other judges this year was, well, okay, Brad's got a bike here. Let's see if anything is as good as his work. Uh, You've become the benchmark. Now, your work is characterized by an almost otherworldly precision. Um, 
as great an example of that stack of dimes look made famous by Merlin back in the 1980s as I can mm-hmm. as I can imagine uh, that you can continue such precision even in nearly impossible places to reach uh, makes your work just all that much more impressive to me. Ken Thank has you. talked to, well, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> Ken has talked about how important it is to have a super precise miter. Um, and you've told me that you use a pulse welder, but it's obvious from your naked work that your heat control is exquisite. Talk to me about, you know, how those different factors go into making a great weld. Okay. Well, I'll do my best to make it uh, as clear Digestible. as possible. <laughs> yes. Because um, I think that the biggest, the biggest challenge when you're – I'll take the point of view as if we were training somebody new. Uh-huh. <clears throat> the biggest challenge is to, uh, is to have somebody come into the welding position with confidence. And that confidence takes typically a, a lot of years of experience to build. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what is probably my, my greatest benefit is that I don't, I don't hesitate for a split second. When I sit down, I'm very confident of what I am about to accomplish. And I, that just, that carries the speed um, because you want to move fairly, fairly quickly with titanium and don't let that heat build. Uh-huh. Um, and, that, and that's why the pulse control and the, the filler rod material control is really important. But that's probably the most difficult thing to, to train someone on is, is moving quickly with confidence. Um, so Interesting. that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's the foundation of it. Um, but also, um, you know, trusting your tools, mm-hmm. understanding your, understanding your tools and knowing what to expect. Um, many, many just really minute details that go into being able to sit down and consistently create a good weld. Um, you know, I have bikes that I have bikes that I'm unhappy with, but might still win your award. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't, you know, I don't mean to sound too, too arrogant about my, my profession, but, um, I really do. Every bike is an opportunity to do better. Well, and that's what makes talking to builders just so very interesting is that there's this level of excellence that they're chasing that, you know, most ordinary folk who aren't familiar, you know, with that particular craft um, really aren't going to understand. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, already I'm hearing echoes of the conversation I had with Richard Sachs just a couple of weeks ago. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're you're obviously in, in good company that way. Now, a little bit more technical question for mm-hmm. listeners who aren't familiar with what it takes to TIG weld or sure. the, the, the gear involved. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us about how a pel- pulse welder works and why okay. the confidence makes such a difference there. Okay. Um, so uh, the, the pulse control is, um, if you can imagine, let's just talk about the setup. A, a TIG welder is, uh, is you know, an electric machine. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an arc welder. Uh, the electrons are flowing from the tungsten electrode to the parent material, to the, to the material that you're welding. 
And the, the amperage, the amount of flow of electrons, is controlled by your foot. You have a foot pedal mm-hmm. that's controlling, controlling the amperage. So you can mimic a pulse control in your foot as well, uh, simply by flooring it, letting off, flooring it, letting off. The pulse control just meters the flow of electrons, and it does it within a, within a cycle. So you set the number of pulses per second, and then within each pulse, you set a peak amperage, you set a percentage of time that it will spend at that peak amperage, you set, you set a low amperage, which is referred to as background amperage, mm-hmm. and, you, and same thing, you, uh, um, actually there's no, there's no time set for background amperage, there's just time set for peak amperage. Sure. So, so through that process, you can dial in your settings to where they work for you. And for most guys, um, but I can only speak for myself, um, about 1.8 pulses per second is where you set the machine. Okay. And then uh, the, the uh, peak time is around 20%. Um, back, you know, uh, peak amperage is usually just set to your whatever you want the machine to be set at. So mm-hmm. 125, 130 amps for lightweight titanium. And and then the background amperage is usually set around uh, 20. So pretty pretty straightforward stuff. And all that does is control control the heat. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't allow the uh, you know the puddle to build and build and build um, and get out of control on you. Right. Right. So essentially, it's a little bit like working with a metronome. You know that you've got this this beat uh, you're, that's coming, and so it's a matter of moving smoothly. You're, you're uh, if I understand correctly, you're contr- you've already controlled a bunch of variables on the front end, so that then when you're actively working, you have fewer uh, fewer variables to to address. Yes, and you can still there's still you know some people call. Um, call the process like laying down the rod. Mm-hmm. So the, the filler rod where you basically almost just pass over the rod. Um, and I typically don't do that. I'm usually pushing and pulling um, where I am actively adding filler material to the puddle in certain areas and then pulling the filler rod away from the puddle. Um, so there's still a lot of handwork that goes in with the with the filler rod hand, mm-hmm. you know, which is for me, the left hand and the torch is in the right hand. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's another aspect of it is how you control the, the, the mass, how much mass there is in the weld zone, um, is also determined with the filler rod. Interesting. Okay. Well, it helps fill in, you know, a little bit more of what I see when I'm looking at your work. Uh, mm-hmm. just, yeah, I, there have been so many times where, you know, your 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 bead is still just perfect in places where it's like, well, how did he even reach that? You know, I remember a crazy yoke on one of the bikes some years back, and it's sure, like, I don't I don't see how he got anything in there. You know, yeah. um, so and, and part of that is also I also fabricate my own welding, my own gas lenses. Oh. So the, the protective shielding gas, the argon gas, 
um, is, is an integral component. And to get that gas to surround the weld area, um, you need a, a really well-functioning gas lens. Mm-hmm. And they're just, not, they're just not available to purchase off the shelf. So I fabricate my own, and, and that allows me to extend my tungsten to greater lengths in certain areas. Uh-huh. Um, that, you know, adds to all those details. <laughs> Interesting. Now, okay, since I don't have any real knowledge about those lenses, um, how many different lenses? I mean, are you making these in, in uh, different configurations for different parts of the bike? Um, no, no, I'm not. It's uh, the one lens is used for, for all aspects of welding. Mm-hmm. Okay. For, of the t- titanium, yep, that I do here in-house. Yeah. Okay. So now... Once you've welded a frame, I'm curious, like, what sort of time commitment is that? Uh, forget for a second mitering all the tubes. Uh, mm-hmm. How much, how many hours, say, in a traditional road frame? Yeah, a traditional road frame is a good way to look at it. Um, I typically, I try to allocate about an hour for tack welding mm-hmm. the frame while, while it's in a jig. Then it comes out of the jig. And then I allocate about an hour and a half to the first the first uh, finish passes, um, and then about another forty five minutes to an hour for the what we just call the weld ons, the chain stay bridge, seat stay bridge, and mm-hmm. water bottle bosses and those items. So, you know, what is that? It's about three and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. Total, yeah. So about three and a half hours for a road bike, um, but that is just welding right right mm-hmm. now backing out from that how many mm-hmm. hours total uh are there in you know uh, a frame start to finish road frame well the only additional welding i guess would be the uh the seat tube um spinning for the uh seat tube insert mm-hmm if that's what you mean. I'm, I'm um, thinking like total construction time, start to finish, oh, Cope, oh, oh, coping the mitering. tubes. Yeah. Oh, everything. Uh, all, of, all of that, Yo. yeah. Yeah. Um, probably an additional, you know, again, these are not numbers that I, that I have in a spreadsheet somewhere, <laughs> um, but probably an additional eight to ten man hours. Okay. Um, dedicated dedicated man hours mm-hmm. not uh not you know screwing around man hours but <laughs> not that we have any of those no um yeah probably about about eight to ten okay now depending on the bike okay now let's compare that to full suspension uh mm-hmm. how many hours welding there versus how many hours total in construction i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> uh but Oh gosh, um, I mean, for sure it's double, but it's hard to say. It's okay. hard to say if it's if it's a lot more than double or <laughs> around double. Okay, and I guess uh, depending on just what the design is, uh, that's mm-hmm. going to cause some variation as well. Yeah, yeah. Our that full suspension bike that I designed and that we we build, we're actually um, doing a run of them right now. Um, at least the my, part of the mitering process, and I just welded over the past month uh, about a dozen of the yokes, and that's a special bike. It's definitely 
um, a labor of love. Well, let's go into that a little bit. I mean, in your view, what makes it different and, you know, obviously contributes mm-hmm. to the challenge of building it? Yeah, well, I don't think there's anybody else building an all-tie full suspension bike um, that's up to the same standard as this bike. Um, mm-hmm. I think the only other one on the market really today is the Linsky. Um, but this bike is, uh, it's like I said, a labor of love, but it's a, it's a fairly simple design, single pivot, four inch travel, um, all titanium, you know, swing arm and, and mainframe. Mm-hmm. And the, the bearings themselves that I selected and the, the design is unique. The, the lower pivot is a, is a 20 millimeter, uh, axle or a spindle mm-hmm. for, for the main main pivot. That's a double row bearing. It's a 32-millimeter OD bearing okay. that has two rows of bearing, two rows of balls in a single race. Yep. Um, makes that rear end so stiff uh, side to side and super smooth. I, I weld and bore those main pivots myself, and the fit-ups are perfect where we scrap them and then that that yoke that i make is all six four titanium water jet cut water jet cut six four it's all bent here in-house all the prep work is done here and um, fabrication of course but it's just a neat bike it rides rides really well um when i designed the bike i was going for a cross-country race rig mm-hmm. and that was really and and it had to not creak. I don't know if you've ever heard a full suspension bike creak. No, no, never, no. But, okay, uh, maybe a little. Yeah. So it had to be quiet and had to be stiff, had to be strong, um, and it had to be customizable. So we've done some really big ones. We've done some for guys pushing 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, mm. um, really neat bikes, and we've done them for little tiny folks as well down to four foot 11 and we can configure it 26 27 5 29 it's really cool wow very cool yeah Yeah. um now you talked about doing runs of bikes um Mm -hmm. considering the physical nature of the work you do when -hmm. you are in the process of of welding uh, and doing multiple bikes, doing a run of bikes. Um, how many hours a day will you spend welding? I mean, I suppose there comes a fatigue point. And how many days yeah. a week will you weld? Right. So I rarely hit the point um, here. You know, in, in the past six years, I've I've rarely hit the point where I was fatigued from welding um, because we only do. Last year, we did 125 bikes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very manageable. Um, but typically, typically I don't weld more than four, four or five hours a day. Okay. Um, and it's pretty easy to maintain a, a you know, a happy place. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you will. Yep. Yeah. And then like a uh, number of days a week that you will weld once you're in that mode. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're always in the mode We're okay. we're, we always have bikes in process. Um, and when I say we're doing a run, you know, uh, we don't do any stock sizing. Everything is custom. Right. So every single bike is custom, but we will, uh, sub assembly 
chainstay kits. Uh, so that's all mitering work. Mm-hmm. And, and I will sometimes grab three or four frames, uh, you know, folders for customers' frames that are about to be mitered, and I will machine a run of head tubes, um, things like that. But we always we have a constant flow of frames moving through, so there's always some amount of welding that I need to get working on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so typically I weld every day. Okay. Um, you know, six or seven days a week for sure. Ooh. And mm-hmm. and usually anywhere from two to six hours a day. Wow. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, back to that subject of custom. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious. I mean, custom means different things to different people. Uh, sure. A lot of a lot of companies out there will talk about custom bikes, but really they've got their what their handling geometry is dialed mm-hmm. relative to what they want, and then all they're doing is varying what the fit is to be appropriate for the given rider. Uh, whereas for some custom means, no, we're negotiable on just what the handling geometry is. Where do you fall with regard to those views? So we are, I feel 100% custom. Okay. Uh, you know, I will work with a customer, um, if they are after a very specific style of handling, then we will, we will back and forth. We'll hammer it out until... I understand exactly what they're after mm-hmm. and, and they're, and they're satisfied that I understand what they're after. And here's the geometry that's, that I feel is going to give you that. Um, I certainly have my, my own views on what I think works really well for certain handling geometries. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much to it. Um, as you know, it's, it depends on age. It depends on riding style. It depends on, on that, on that specific fit, it depends on weight bias. It depends on tire selection. So I think you have to be a well-rounded individual as a builder of, of custom bikes. You have to have a very open mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, we build, we build everything from step through 650s for mid-70-year-old folks to hardtail race 29ers, that are going to Leadville 100 to, um, you know, 27.5 plus bikes that are being bike packed across New Zealand. So you have to be, <clears throat> you have to really care that the bike you're building is, is the best thing for this person's future experiences. Right. Right. And, and, and if you can't accomplish it, then you should let them know. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, fair. Yeah, yeah, um, but certainly, certainly, I've spent a lot of time on bicycles, um, raced a lot, toured, just ridden a ton. So um, I've had the opportunity to experience a lot of different geometries and and change things through the process and and learn from that process. And and I also have Kent here to lean on, sure, and, and get a, a another opinion. And that that brings me to another question. Uh, you know, how many people are in the shop? How many people are you working with? So right now, we are about three and a quarter people. <laughs> uh, that must be painful. Um, 
It's uh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's uh, it's myself, uh, my wife Hannah. Um, we have a, a gentleman named Ed that does uh, a lot of machining, handwork, uh, final assemblies, wheel building. He is truly a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. And then we have Kent, uh, very part time. Right. Right. He's okay. our he's our quarter. He's the one in pain. Sure. <laughs> you better give him the rest of him. Uh, yeah. Okay, so it's fair to say your reputation at this point is first and foremost as a builder for the quality of your welds. Um, but really, you know, there's way more to being a frame builder than just welding, as we've discussed. You know, yes. I'm curious, you know, everybody has a favorite part of what it is they do. What is your favorite part? Is it the welding or, you know, are there other things that, you know, you find mm-hmm. kind of challenging and not your favorite thing to yep. do? Well, I, I think that Kent would probably agree with me on this one, but I think the most fun for me is problem solving and building new tooling. Mm. So, you know, if I wasn't, if I had turned a different direction out of high school and had followed an engineering path, perhaps I would have found manufacturing engineering mm-hmm. as my calling because I really enjoy um, having a vision of a product, piece, part, whatever you want to call it, and then, okay, how are we going to make it? And so I really enjoy designing and fabricating tooling um, over the past well, number of years now, but the amount of tooling that went into, say, the full suspension bike, that mm-hmm. was a huge, under, huge undertaking to build all these different press, press blocks and rollers for the sheet metal and um, all these jigs. That was a ton of fun. And then a couple of years ago, <clears throat> I, I, I made some new tools for doing custom stems, and that was, that was a lot of fun. Right now, I'm just wrapping up a uh, a new tooling setup for doing seat stay mitering. And that's uh, been a, a really fun project. So I really enjoy that aspect of it, but I enjoy machining. I enjoy mitering. I enjoy welding. Um, I really like it all. Neat. Um, and, and, yeah. and running the, running the, the business from, from tip to tail, um, you know, I get to talk on the phone with customers I get to create create estimates and builds, create new drawings and designs and geometry. So all of that is all of that is enjoyable as well. So you really enjoy the diversity of, of being mm-hmm. uh, not a one man business, but a, a small small shop. Yeah, and that's and that is part of why I think that I left Moots was I always felt that uh, that a bicycle is a it's a simple machine. We all know it's a very simple machine. And any anyone, I believe, can take a bike from conception to somebody riding away on it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I I enjoy it so much and I want to intimately know each step of the process. Um, and be able to take it from conception to somebody riding away. And that's, for me, that's really, really neat being a part of every step. Whereas in a a factory role, you've just got a pile of something in front of you that you're moving from one station to the next, if you will. And 
that wasn't that satisfying. I follow you. Yeah. Now, at this point in your career, I mean, you've you've been in the bike industry more than 20 years. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm curious about what sorts of lessons you've learned in the past few years, you know, things that you didn't understand, you know, say in 2001. Um, mm -hmm. Are there things that have caused you to adjust your building philosophy or the techniques by which you work? Mm. I'd say my greatest uh, change over the past decade, 15 years, has been a greater and greater opening of the mind and allowing those those new ideas to really sink in and, uh, you know, more thought, uh, um, contemplate new geometry more and, uh, just consider, consider that something can be better than what it is today. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're at the point where, you know, your brand is getting off the ground uh, Kent's going to retire here um, sometime in the not-too-distant future. Where do you think you're going to be in five years? In five years? Um, probably very similar. Um, I, I do not have any desire, plans to, to build more bikes. I do not have any desire to hire a big crew and start making 600 bikes a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hope that uh, I really hope that I will be tackling everything more so as a one-man shop, and and perhaps fewer clients even, and just enjoying that relationship with the client more. Um, I don't have, yeah, you know, I don't have aspirations of of becoming a millionaire anytime soon, <laughs> and um, and I, I don't really care too much about that uh, as long as I can pay my pay my bills and and people are happy and I'm ha happy and able to take take some time and go visit different parts of the world I enjoy traveling and um, as long as I can keep having a good time I'm not going to to you know stir my pot too much I just want to keep building beautiful beautiful bikes and having fun well that sounds like a really sustainable business model you know, congratulations on that. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Boy. Well, Brad, thank you so much for the time. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I think our listeners will as well. Awesome. You're welcome. I want to thank my guest, Brad Bingham, for joining me on The Pull. To learn more about his work, you can visit Bingham Built Bikes or ericksoncycles.com. That's it for this episode of The Pull. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to our recent reboot of the Paceline podcast with my new co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. The Fit Chick, I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week, have a great ride.